25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. You play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to the Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Here we go. Hour number two of the show. Off and running. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast service, friendly service. That's what you get at Farm Bureau. It's what you ought to get everywhere. Uh, Unfortunately, it's maybe not the case, but it is what you get at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, friendly service. Absolutely. And I'm staying connected to you down here at the beach. Right out my window here, that white sand here on the Alabama coast, but I don't know if you can hear that. It's thundering. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, tropical storm system that's going on circling around the eye of it out west of here. It's going to hit Louisiana. It's going to bring a ton of rain here at home in Mississippi, Jackson, Vicksburg, over in the Delta, but really the whole state. We're going to get a lot of rain from this system. Um, Where I am here on the Alabama coast, we're a little east of that, but out you know, out there in the Gulf behind us, we can hear the thunder and see the rain. We may get a little bit of it here today. It's just the way it is. Just the way it is this time of year. It sure is. Hey, coming up, we'll continue the countdown. We'll do team number 49. Tomorrow will be 49 days. So tomorrow and Saturday, you'll be 49 days from August the 31st, kickoff to the college football season. Everybody looking forward to that. Um Got a little news. If you're just tuning in, there was some news, some officiating news in the NFL. It's pretty interesting. And I'll give you some of those headlines if you missed those or kind of been out and about uh, the last few days and might have missed those. We'll go over a few of those that I think are impactful for you uh, as fans here in our neck of the woods and in our part of the uh, country. And coming up, too, uh, I'm about to tell you who the division winners are going to come down to in the SEC. And you think, now don't roll your eyes and don't you know, just stick around. Look, don't roll your eyes. It's not a deal where I'm, you know, just looking for something, some prediction to make to try to get your attention on July the 12th. That's not it. Uh, I'm going to make a point out of it. And it has to, to do with something that I saw Tim Brando tweeted a while back that I agree with. Uh, but it's July the 12th, and I'm about to go ahead and I'm going to use my ability to go ahead and tell you who the division winners in the SEC are going to come down to I'm gonna, it, it, to make another point. All right, so that's coming up. But first, I saw something this morning that I wanted to share with you. Again, every now and then, it's sort of jokingly, but, yeah, it's kind of cocky as well. I'll say, you know, we, we're going to do this because it's our show, and <laughs> we can do whatever we want. Okay, Uh, I'm going to do it. I saw this. It's an Atlanta Braves memory. 
something that happened in Braves history. There we go, the chop. Thank you very much. Chop, chop, Atlanta Braves history. A name that anybody, any Braves fan is going to know. And I bet you haven't thought about this name in a while. But it's going to bring back a lot of memories. It really is. Okay, so the Braves memory machine right now going back to 1992. Goes Nixon to the wall. He caught it. Unbelievable. Kiss this one goodbye. It's a slam. And down the stretch he comes. He is a Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. All right. So that was your Braves on WTBS <laughs> intro during the 1992 season. On this day, July the 12th, 1992, Braves shortstop Jeff Blauser three times went to the plate at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and three times Jeff Blauser left the yard. Blauser let loose a week later in Chicago, spraying Cub fans with three monster home runs, giving the Braves their fifth in a row and sweeping the Cubs. How about that? It was 7-4. Jeff Blauser hit three home runs in a game on this day, July the 12th, 1992. He, um, he had only hit 39 home runs total in the previous six seasons. <laughs> now think about that for a minute, right? Like So the most unlikely candidate to hit three home runs in a game. The guy averaged just barely over six home runs a season over the previous six that he had played. About six a year he would hit, and then he rolls in to Chicago into Wrigley Field on this day in 1992 and hits three in that game. Atlanta shortstop Jeff Blauser. And uh, Atlanta won the game 7-4. When he did that back in 92, he joined a group of three other former shortstops that had hit three home runs in the game, in a, in a game. One was Ernie Banks, and one was Barry Larkin. The other was a guy named uh, Freddie Paddock, but I'm not familiar with him. I don't know how far back you'd have to go and what era he played, but I certainly remember Ernie Banks and Barry Larkin. How about that, Jeff Blauser in that group? Three home runs on this day in 92 against the Cubs. That 92 team was – you know, not the one that got it started, but one of the ones who really got it going and was so much fun to watch for Braves fans like me, who you'd grown up in the 80s, always wishing the Braves could play in a World Series and all that. They had the great team in 91 and then turn around in 92 and do it again. Um, and this time made it to the World Series. You know, that was the team that lost in the World Series to the Blue Jays four games to two, but they won that National League Championship Series over the Pirates in Game 7 with Sid Bream sliding in there. And Chip Carey, Braves win, Braves win, Braves win. That was the year, the 92 season. 
that was the year when you know they win the National League to go to the World Series by uh, Frank Cabrera, the base hit to left field. Sid Bream comes around, lumbering around third, and managed to slide in there safely. And the names that that was just a, so much a, a, a such a fun team to follow and to watch. Um, I, I remember that year. I believe it was that year. Yeah, that my family. We loaded up. We went over. We watched one game. It was against uh, the San Francisco Giants that year. We got there in time to watch the Braves players arriving at the ballpark in their own vehicles. Um, the catcher, Greg Olson, drove into Atlanta Fulton County Stadium in an old rusted-out, beat-up pickup truck. <laughs> Never forget that. He waved at everybody. Uh, there were several cars that came pulling in there. Uh, to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium with players in it that you know had tinted windows and maybe a driver. It was just a, somebody dropping them off. There was a few that drove their own cars. Deion Sanders drove a sports car. It was pretty cool to get to watch him drive in there. Yeah, the catcher on that team in '92 was Greg Olson. You had Sid Bream over at first base. Uh, Brian Hunter was a backup first baseman for a while, but also Ryan Klesko. That was when Klesko came in there. And, you know, just made a few appearances that year in 92. Just just a few plate appearances, not many. Um, any of the backup playing time at first base pretty much went to Brian Hunter. But we just got a glimpse of Ryan Klesko that year in 92. Uh, the second baseman was Mark Lemke. Maybe one of the more underrated players ever <laughs> in Major League Baseball, but certainly in Braves history. Uh, his backup, you'll remember, was a guy named Jeff Treadway, who played, frankly, in a bunch of games that year. Um, you know, maybe not quite half the games, but made some appearances that year, Treadway. Um, Jeff Blauser was not the only shortstop. In fact, may not have been necessarily the starting shortstop. That was pretty much Rafael Belliard. Blauser could play anything in the middle infield. But you'll remember in 92, Belliard was – was pretty much your everyday shortstop. Uh, Terry Pendleton over there at third base. And the outfield for the Braves that year in 92, Ron Gant in left, Otis Nixon in center, and David Justice <laughs> in right. Deion Sanders, the platoon guy in the outfield. You also had Lonnie Smith on that team who, you know, it always seemed like Lonnie Smith was always falling down. You remember that? A while back, somebody messaged into the show here and told me that Mississippi State used to have a player that was always running into the wall and, you know, getting dirt all over just constantly, and they named him Combat. They gave him the nickname Combat. That would have been a great name for Lonnie Smith. It was always like he was on skates, slipping down, but uh, he was a heck of a player. Played for the Royals for a lot of years as well. Um. You had, yeah, Frank Cabrera, Francisco Cabrera, was your backup catcher on that team, and he did not play a lot for that Braves team. But, boy, did he ever have a big at bat, I guess, in a pinch hit situation late in that ballgame. And then, of course, the pitching staff, the 92 Braves, just one of the best ever. 92, they did not have Maddox, but they had Smoltz, Glavin, Steve Avery. Uh, Lee Brandt was maybe your fourth starter. Pete Smith, also a starter on that team, and, you had Merker, Mike Stanton, Wollers out of the pen, all those guys. Reardon. So, uh, 92 Braves, a memory. I had totally forgotten, though, about uh, Jeff Blauser, the 
least likely candidate on that team, and he does it at Wrigley Field on this day in 92, three home runs in one ball game. So there you go, 10 minutes of walking through uh, Braves' <laughs> memory lane, just like I said, because um, every now and then it's our show and we can do whatever we want. Back over to football. Hey, does that get you going for football? You know what that is? That's the ESP, the original ESPN college football intro music. All right, so back over to football. Check it out. Uh, divisions in the SEC. Let me ask you something. Do you think with any degree of certainty that I can go ahead right now on July the 12th and predict – a very small pool of teams in which the, from which the division winners in the SEC are going to come. You think I could do that with accuracy right now? Well, what about you? Do you think you could do it? I, I, wanna, I want you to think about that question now. It's not just a throwaway. I'm not just setting something up. I want you to think about that question. Do you think with any degree of certainty that I can give you Four SEC teams from which the division winners are going to come this year. Yeah, right? I can do it. You can do it. Now, how certain do you think we are? And and I said four for a reason. Okay, because the, the degree of certainty you would have, it wouldn't be 100% if we just picked the winner of each division. And everybody would go Alabama, Georgia. But it's not going to be 100%, right, degree of certainty that you'd have by just picking those, one, you know, the one team here and the one team there in the other division. Because who knows? I mean, somebody might, a Florida might upset Georgia. Who knows? An LSU might pick off Alabama this year. That's what I'm saying. But if we extend it and we go this, and we do this, the two teams in the SEC West from which the division winner will come. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now with a great degree of certainty, it's coming from either Alabama or LSU. And in the East, I can tell you with a great deal of certainty that the SEC East champion is coming from either Georgia or Florida. Now, you may be a fan of other schools and, you know, therefore might argue, you know, or throw in a a fly in the ointment thing in one of the other divisions. You know, could it be, um, heck, I don't know, help me. Could it be Texas A&M in the West this year? Could it be uh, who? Missouri? <laughs> In the East. I, I mean, heck, help me. Who could it be? Maybe. But what are the chances? Again, we're going degree of certainty. What are the chances that one of those becomes a fly in the ointment over there? You know, 1%? 10%? 
I mean, the fact is, if you look at the actual standings, last year Texas A&M was also 5-3 and three in the SEC. So they're right there behind Alabama with LSU. But LSU beat Texas A&M. You know, LSU got whipped in some games. State whipped them, right? Do you believe with a freshman quarterback this year that Auburn is going to elevate and challenge Alabama for the SEC West? No, I don't. Are they going to be good? Yeah, they're going to win some games? Sure. Regardless of who their quarterback is, they're good. But they're not in Alabama's league. The only team that could possibly jump into their league this year, I think, is LSU. They were – Alabama won 14 games last year. LSU won 10. LSU has a returning senior quarterback. LSU has maybe the best player in the league in Grant Delpit. And they got great players all over the field. They recruit at a high level. A&M just signed a, you know, a top five class. That's what we expect Jimbo Fisher to do at Texas A&M. They're getting serious about it over there. They're going to be good in the future. But it's too soon. It's not going to happen this year. So with with what I feel like is great certainty, the Western Division is coming down to Alabama and LSU. And, yes, it will include what those other teams do. The Eastern Division comes down to Georgia and Florida. With what degree of certainty do you believe that Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, or Tennessee will challenge either of those teams? Almost 0%. You would give any of those to challenge Georgia and or Florida for the East. Kentucky fans. Well, we won ten games at Kentucky and went five and three, finished second in the league last year. I know. Not happening again. It's Georgia or Florida. And so four teams out of fourteen on July the twelfth, I and everybody else can tell you with just about 100% certainty, that's who it's coming down to. Tim Brando tweeted about two weeks ago in response to something that Paul Feinbaum put out there about declining attendance in college football. Tim Brando tweeted that the fact that he, on July 1st or whatever it was, with great certainty could go ahead and tell you who the college football playoff teams are is a big factor in the apathy that's starting to develop among fans and, frankly, a lot of younger fans across the board nationally in college football. It's it's a part of it. Parity. I'm using the SEC, for instance, as a microcosm. Now, we're all excited about SEC football, and I don't care – you know, how good the top teams are, Georgia and Alabama, and how loaded they are with five stars, it does not at all, for me personally, it doesn't do anything to throw water on my excitement for the upcoming season or how much I'm looking forward to watching my team play. The same for you and your team. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you cannot wait to watch your team run out of that tunnel against Memphis on August 31st. Who cares if – Alabama's better and going to win a national title. You don't care about that. You just can't wait to watch your team play. Same thing for me. You know, watching State run out there and play and being on the radio calling their games in Davis Wade. But what I'm saying is, across the board, take out a big old paintbrush, broad brush, and paint the whole picture for the entire country. 
the SEC is a microcosm of that example. It's July the 12th. We can debate all day whether Georgia wins the East or where, whether Alabama wins the West, but I don't know that you can debate that in the West it comes down to Alabama, LSU, and in the East it comes down to Georgia and Florida. I don't know that you can debate it. You want to bet any of your money on Missouri going to the SEC title game or South Carolina? You want it? I mean, how confident are you? You going to bet on it? You want to bet your money? that Texas A&M or Mississippi State are going to the SEC championship game in the West, one of those teams? You want to bet your money on it? If I hand you a fresh $100 bill and say, go make me a little money with this, you're going to put it on Alabama. Or LSU, you're definitely putting it on Georgia. And it's July the 12th, and we already know. (laughs) And it's the same way across the country. So – the pageantry and the excitement of watching your team run out of the tunnel in your colors, that's what drives people to follow college football the way they do. And one problem they do have is that one of the motivating factors, frankly, just is not that fans feel like their team has a chance to go win something, to go win a championship. That's just not part of it for most college football fans. We'll see what kind of effect that dynamic has now that we're in the playoff era uh, over the you know coming years. We'll see what kind of effect. It, maybe it has not a wide-reaching effect, but I think that it could. All right. I'm in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. show i'm matt in the farm bureau studio farm bureau go with the home team do you know whose song this is yep that's tribute to troy from the usc band usc trojans and ever since I watched a video on YouTube of Will Farrell leading the band out onto a performance of this, he was dressed like a Roman soldier marching with a sword. Will Farrell, the comedian. Now, every time I hear it, that's all I can think about. <laughs> he had this really serious look on his face. He was marching and kind of thrusting the sword up in the air every time the song would hit, you know? Yeah. So I, I I can't think of anything else now every time I hear that. <laughs> it's just the way I am. Welcome back to the show. In the Farm Bureau studio, I'm Matt, connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi, C Spire, customer-inspired. Final day of broadcasting to you from vacation on the beach. Sun's behind the cloud, a little thunder and rain going on. The sand's still out there. Yesterday, the wind blew about... I don't know, 25, 30 miles an hour out on the beach. It blew so hard that, like, the sand, you know, just pelting off your legs, it actually kind of hurt. That's how hard the wind was blowing on the beach. But it created these great big waves, and we had a blast uh, out of the water. 
I don't know that we will get to today, but we did yesterday. It's been a good week. Next week is really going to be a good week. Really looking forward to starting on Monday, broadcasting to you from the Hoover Winfrey Hyatt Regency Winfrey Hotel. Mouthful, but that's what it is there at the Galleria Mall in Hoover for SEC Media Days beginning on Monday. Matt Luke and Ole Miss, Matt Corral and others will make appearances on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Joe Moorhead and Errol Thompson and those guys uh, take the podium. And so we'll we'll be there for all of that next week. Looking forward to it. Countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. We started it 50 days ago. Today is day number 50. Had Vanderbilt earlier. They're team number 50 on the countdown. 50 days from August the 31st. And since today's Friday, we'll go ahead and do Saturday's team. Team number 49 on the countdown, Syracuse. That's terrible. It's not a great song, and it kind of sounds like a high school band. Well, I'll take that back. I've heard a lot of high school bands who are better than this one. Anyway, not necessarily into the music at Syracuse, but they're into football, and they are um, they're getting better. You know, a couple of years ago, they upset Clemson. I don't know if you remember that. It, it seems like a long time ago. It was a 2017 season. Um, I believe that's right. The 2017 season is when they um, – upset Clemson last year they almost did it again so if you go back to 2017 Clemson went in there Syracuse beat them last season Syracuse almost did it again and they and that's a really good team last year by the way I don't know if you realize that they only had three uh, regular season losses they finished nine and three on the season and then beat West Virginia handily in a bowl game to get their 10th win uh so, but but back to the Clemson thing. We know how good Clemson is, and they're in the championship picture. Syracuse has had their number. Two years ago, beat them. And then last year, at Clemson, on September 29th, early in the year, Clemson ranked third. Syracuse went in there, and it was a 27-23 win for Clemson. They got by them by four points. Syracuse really competitive and won 10 games. It's a good football team. They've done a great job. Uh, they started the year 4-0. and uh, really not a lot to speak, a lot of non-conference in there last year for Syracuse. They did have the win over Florida State, but we know that Florida State was good and terrible. The thing is, after losing the Clemson game, they put so much into it, lose by four, they turned around the next week last year and lost an overtime game at Pitt. And that was back-to-back losses, a four-point loss to Clemson, an overtime loss to Pittsburgh. You look at how close that season was for Syracuse last year, to be in like an 11-12 and 12 win season. It, it was just really close. They did have to survive an overtime game against a not-very-good North Carolina team, but they did survive it. And that was part of four straight wins over North Carolina, top 25 NC State. They beat them by scoring 51, beat a good Wake Forest team by scoring 41. They killed Louisville, put up 54. And their worst loss of the year was that November 17th loss to Notre Dame. Notre Dame was ranked third in the country. They hosted them, and Notre Dame just whipped them, 36-3. Terrible loss, worst of the year. But then they responded with a win in the season finale over Boston College. 
And like I say, they played West Virginia, who was a top 15 team in their bowl game, and short made short work of West Virginia, 34 to 18. You had the coaching change going on at West Virginia with Dana Holgerson leaving, going to Houston, and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes that affects it. You can't really tell a whole lot about what happens to teams in in the postseason in the bowl games, especially with coaching changes going on and. You know, teams playing a lot of games in bowl games. It, it's fun to go play them, but there's not a lot riding on it. Um, but that was a really good team, a 10-win team a year ago for Syracuse. I, um, you, you never really know from one season to the next if you don't follow a team's roster closely. I don't know uh, as much about what they lose or bring back. I just know that, again, they're expected to be a good team there in the ACC. But – maybe not be the 10-win type of team. I just know that they're going to start on the road. This year, Syracuse, in 50 days, August 31st, they begin at Liberty. So, Hugh Freeze's first game as a head coach at Liberty will be against this Syracuse team, and it's a home game for Liberty on August 31st. Then, week two of the year, Syracuse goes to Maryland. That was a good Maryland team um, last season. Maryland's given Texas fits a couple of years in a row. And that could be a good competitive game. So the first home game for Syracuse will be September 14th when they will host Clemson, the defending national champion, and Trevor Lawrence coming to Syracuse. First home game for Cuse. And it'll be the first time they've hosted Clemson since the last time when they beat them a couple of years ago. And that's pretty much all you need to know. They do have non-conferences built in there with Western Michigan and Holy Cross. That's the other thing is, you know, the ACC out here playing those nine conference games. So the only non-conferences for them are Liberty, Western Michigan, and Holy Cross. The rest of it is all uh, conference games uh, for Syracuse. So there you go, a little bit of a look at them. I was looking ahead, peeking ahead at the teams on my list for the uh, countdown of 100 teams. You know, um, I'm using the ESPN – football power index as the gauge it's not you know i don't look at it as a ranking it's just a way to organize uh, all these top 100 teams and just go by it day by day and it flipped on me when they went from the 18 to the 19 fpi about a week ago and uh, so i've gotten a couple of repeats in there but that's okay we just dive a little deeper or look at these teams from a different angle but looking at next week you know we're going to be broadcasting live from sec media days on monday we would do teams number 47 and 48. And one of those is a Big Ten team, one is Pitt. But I don't have any SEC teams until we get all the way up there to number 41 on the list, and that will be after SEC Media Day. So that means that next week, if you just you know, in each show for a brief time, we'll just mix in a preview of some of these other teams on the countdown. But we'll make sure we continue it. How about that? It will continue. I can promise you uh, that'll happen. All right. Rolling along here with you on a Friday. Coming up, news from uh, the top of the show that you might have missed if you just tuned in. Some stuff that will interest you as a Saints fan as well. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around.
Back on the show. Wrapping up the week from the beach. They're calling the hogs up in Arkansas. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Earlier in the show, I was talking about this idea of review everything. Allow anything to be reviewable if it's a scoring play. That's the idea. Now, language, semantics, what it means, what you're actually opening it up to, I understand that you'd have to dive in and sort of outline it. Yeah, you would. And here's an example what all that means. Jonathan Eaton, my friend Jonathan Eaton. Jonathan is a spotter for us uh, on our broadcast crew for Mississippi State home games in the booth. Neil Price, relying heavily on Jonathan Eaton. Jonathan's a great guy. We enjoy having him a part of the crew. And and he tweeted back at me and said, you'd have to be careful on how to define scoring plays. What about plays that didn't score but would have scored due to a whistle, etc.? Replay would have shown that. Without the whistle, they would have. Like a breakaway run, but the ref called them out of bounds when they weren't. And he's right. You'd have to define that. I think – Nothing, nothing. No big changes are are happening really across any anything in in NCAA land. It's not happening in big chunks. You know, you're not seeing big swinging uh, changes from one side of the conversation to the other ever. But what it'll happen is in steps. A little step here, a move in the right direction there, and over the course of time. Maybe they'll get it to where things need to be. And that's why I think maybe the starting point would be to say anything involving the goal line. And in that case, Jonathan, I know that that would, in this debate, okay, allow more things to be reviewable. Since you have replay, use it to get more stuff right. Okay, I get it. We do have to consider the pace of play thing. And, yeah, if I say it involves a goal line, it would eliminate what you're talking about. Let's just say it's out at midfield guy breaks away and he's all by himself and one guy dives at his ankle and as he jumps to avoid him, he's called out of bounds. Say he steps out of bounds. So the play gets blown dead. But then they show the replay on TV or something. You could see he didn't step out of bounds. In other words, it's wiping a touchdown or a would-be touchdown off the board. But it happened way out there in the field. That, to me, is different. And I, I, and, and I know that if I say plays involving the goal line, then we're eliminating the play you just mentioned. The thing is, officials can solve some of those kinds of things easily by just letting plays go. (laughs) And I know that that's another deal. But if it's reviewable, if sideline plays are reviewable, if inbounds, out-of-bounds plays are reviewable, then if you just let the guy go, you solve that. Let him go, we'll come back and review it. I know, pace of play, I get it. But we're just trying to get stuff right. You know, I go back to, Jonathan, a great example of what you're bringing up was Mississippi State versus Auburn 2017 in Auburn. It was a blowout. It wound up being a blowout. Auburn scored, what, 49 points, I think. 
against Todd Grantham's defense. <laughs> and Auburn wasn't that great. But it was at Auburn. State played poorly two weeks in a row in 2017 against Georgia and against uh, Auburn. But early in that game, you'll remember defensive line was playing well. They kind of get to Jarrett Stidham, hit him, knocked the ball out. And it's a fumble, right? And Montez Sweat picked it up. And the guy who runs a 4-5 is going to score. But they blew the play dead somehow. Like, ruled his arm going forward or something. They blow the whistle, blow it dead. And so it took a touchdown off the board because they let the play go. He's going to score. And replay would show that the ball was actually fumbled. So when they reviewed it, after the play was blown dead, they're like, yeah, no, this is State's football. But because they blew it dead, they just gave State the ball right where they spotted it. Just a, really a poor job by an official just, you know, blowing his whistle when he should let the play go and then figure it out later. As an example of that, those kinds of plays, you got to let them go. You have replay now. If you didn't have replay, make your mind up. Call the play. But we don't live in that world anymore. We have replay. Let the play go. So you solve some of that that way. I would say the step in the right direction of what I'm lobbying for is any play involving the goal line. You know, any play involving the goal line. You know, a guy has a 35-yard touchdown run and a flag was thrown for blocking the back. Well, if I'm a coach and my guy in the booth says, Coach, they call blocking the back, but it didn't happen, man. Challenge it. You got timeouts, challenge it. Use it the same. Allow it to be reviewable. And then the other thing, too, it's just it's hard for them to be as transparent as they might like to be as an officiating group because of holding, you know, holding this subjective thing and treating holding penalties who have big impacts on plays and games but treating them differently than others, saying that, well, this one is so subjective and hard to see. We can't even review holding. Well, what's that all about? It's either a penalty or it's not. If we're reviewing some, why can't we review it? <clears throat> That's just what I say. I don't know. Curious to see. Uh, by and large, they're all trying to do the right stuff, but they can do a lot more. Uh, that's for sure. And in general, in general, you know, fans that are rooting for one of the two teams that are on the field, we talk about pace of play. We generally don't care that much if they're trying to get the calls right, if it's your team on the field. Sure, you get a little frustrated if you're watching a game on TV and your game is next as <laughs> you want this one to end. You don't want it going four hours with three long reviews in there. But the fans of those two teams who care the most, they don't care how long it takes you. Just get it right. That's all we want. So it's a fine line there also. Okay, as we wrap up here, this was uh, some news from over the last couple days that we had right at the very beginning of the show. So if you just tuned in recently, you might have not heard this yet. I just want to give you an update. I know we have so many Saints fans in our neck of the woods who, uh, you know, not only listen to this show, but others around here. And there's some news for the Saints overnight into yesterday. Uh, Rookie defensive end Carl Grandison, uh, Saints rookie defensive end Carl Grandison, was sentenced to six months in jail. The sentence came down Thursday. A judge rejected the terms of a plea agreement that he had reached on sexual assault charges. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this, but this guy Granderson played at Wyoming 
was a really good player but went undrafted because he had these third-degree sexual assault and sexual battery charges facing him. It uh, goes back to a thing. He's accused of inappropriately touching two women while they slept at his apartment in 2018. So he had this hanging over his head. He goes undrafted. The Saints brought him as an undrafted, and uh, in OTAs and stuff, he was doing really well. In fact, he had, he spent some time working with the first team on the defensive line. They had some injuries, so they had, he was on the first team. Saints gave him a um, a contract that guaranteed $85,000 of his salary, including a $15,000 bonus. They signed him to a three-year deal at the minimum salary level. Back in May when they asked Saints coach Sean Payton about signing him, he said, quote, felt real comfortable with everything we knew, and so far he's done a good job here and, and all that. So he was, you know, looking to maybe be a part of their team. And what happened is – this thing goes to court out in Casper, Wyoming. A judge there, uh, Judge Tory Cricken, rejected the proposed deal of one-year probation and a mental evaluation and was ordered to immediately begin serving his sentence. He was led away in, the ha- in handcuffs following a brief discussion with his attorney. That's what the story says. So immediately beginning to st- serve his six-month sentence, six months in jail, um, after that, he was also given a one-year uh, jail uh, term on sexual battery, but they are suspending that with one year of supervised probation once he's completed this six months. So he will not be playing for the Saints and, you know, may may or may not play football again. We'll just have to see. So that totally ends that possibility of a defensive lineman for uh for you Saints fans, just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. And then the other piece of news that, that happened yesterday, we talked a lot about officiating today, just kind of worked out that way. The NFL is putting its full-time officials program on hold. They've got this ongoing labor um, discussion with the NFL Referees Association going on. And so coming out of that, they are putting the full-time officials program on hold. So if this doesn't turn around, it means the NFL – plans to revert to the old structure of using part-time officials, a full roster of part-time officials the way it used to be. Now, it's not going to affect this season. Most of the full-time stuff that these full-time officials do, the difference in what they do during and the season and not is that it affects kind of their off season. They do a lot more during the off season when they're full time. So in terms of how it actually affects it on the field, I don't know. I just don't think it's a step in the right direction, at least, you know, and again, we talking to saints fans here just a minute ago uh, with what happened last year. The last thing you want to do is take a step backward in regards to officiating, right? <laughs> I know that's the way you feel about it. That's the way I do, too. All right, enjoy the week. Y'all have a great weekend, and I'll see you again on Monday live from Hoover at SEC Media Day. See you then. See you.